Good evening, everybody. I want to remind you that we have another class for adults over in the Annex. If you would like to participate in that, you are certainly welcome to do so. That class requires a mask if you want to attend it, but it should be a great class. And if you need to leave, I'll close my eyes. You <laughs> you go ahead and, and be a part of that if you like. In here, we are continuing our study of some things that church must do. Emphasis on must. These are things the Lord is requiring of us. And tonight, we're going to be talking about planting and watering from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That goes along with some things we've been developing, and I'm hoping that as regards the seed, the Word of God, this will, this will conclude that portion of the study. I have a couple of announcements of kind of developing things with folks. You've heard these names before, but these are updates. One pertains to David Nowell. He is an elder at the Strickland Church. Of course, he's Emily's brother, and so that is really our connection. And he had surgery, as you know, for two masses on his brain. There were also three lesions that had developed. They were not able to get those lesions, but they did get the masses. And they've done the pathology on that enough to know that it was cancerous. So he is going to be going to rehab, try and regain his walking function, which he had lost. And also this week, he's going to be undergoing some evaluation to determine the very best course of treatment. So as you can imagine, family requests you please be praying for him and his wife, Cindy, and, and the rest of their family. Of course, we think of Emily, don't we? So we want to pray for her and be a, a good support to her. Okay, on a happier note, although I guess 
Chris says he's a little nervous, <laughs> but uh, Bailey Beard Miles, she's been admitted to BMH in New Albany. Uh, they're looking to have a baby soon. So please keep Bailey and Whitley in your prayers as they await their arrival. Hey, you know, it's good to be a grandparent. I know that now. I always heard that that was true. I was telling some folks here a minute ago that I've kind of changed my approach to some things. Used to be like when I get behind somebody that was really slow in the car or they just got in my way, I'd say something, and very kindly, but I'd say something like, move on, Grandpa, or move on, Grandma. Now I say, move on, great-grandpa, move on, great-grandma. Just took it up another level, you know, because I don't want to be in that other group. (laughs) So, not yet, anyway. So, we have a lot to pray about, and I'm sure you have some folks that maybe aren't on the prayer list, but you think of them when we pray so we can carry as many as we can to God because I'm sure you're like me. The very best thing I know to do for people is to take their name before God's throne because he's he's God. He's God Almighty, which means there's nothing mightier than he is. And we tend to think about science and doctors and all of that, we, we can just be in a daze about that constantly because we don't know much about that. But I don't have to know anything about God except the fact I just trust him. And so we'll do the best we can for these people. Let's sing a song first that in some ways pertains to our lesson tonight. It certainly has to do with our mission, our responsibility in sharing the gospel and we'll we'll sing the first and last verse of 658 658 then we'll have a prayer and then we'll begin our study 658 I am a stranger here in a foreign land. My own is far away upon the coldest track. I'm bastard towards me, look from me on the sea. I'm here on business for my king. This is the message that I bring. Our message angels stay would sing. Oh, we. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
study of God's Word. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you for a great day today. Thank you for the beauty of the creation around us, for the transformation of our area from the winter to the spring. We thank you, Father, for the life that we enjoy, freedoms that we have, and for health and strength. And we pray, Father, that you'll continue blessing us this way, or as we face troubles, that we'll know you're walking with us. And Lord, we have a couple of folks today that are either struggling with health or are in you know, the pangs of, of childbirth which is itself a, a, a daunting and a difficult passage. We pray for David as he's had a surgery and many of his circumstances are now known. And Lord, we're, we're praying on several levels. We, we pray that he can regain his ability to walk and, and function normally. We pray your blessings on the treatment that will be diagnosed and applied. And we pray, Lord, that his body will respond to that treatment and that it will achieve the results that everyone's hoping for. We pray for his family as they are no doubt still in a degree of shock over the news because it's happened so quickly. And especially today, Lord, we think of Emily. We pray for your comfort on her. And also we pray for Dale as he uh, provides strength and support to her and to other members of this family. We pray, Lord, that your will is done in all this. And we don't know anything else to do any better than just to lay this at your feet. And we trust you for whatever outcome there is. We also pray for Bailey as she is preparing herself, maybe even in the process now, Lord, of giving birth. And we pray your protection on her and the child. We pray for this family as they're anxious about the delivery. And we, we just pray everything will go as expected and that there'll be a, a healthy newborn as a result and a healthy mother. We ask, Father, that you will bless us tonight as we continue looking at and thinking about those things that we must do as a congregation of your people. The things that you have clearly indicated must be done. And Lord, I pray that we'll think of it that way, not just as not just simply as opportunities or, or things that we could be doing, but understanding that these are, these are necessary, that your church will be all that you expect it to be. And that, that's our responsibility, to put into practice the things we know that we should do. Help me to communicate that in a simple, understandable way, and bless those who hear it, not that they'll just receive it, but that they'll act on it and take possession of the responsibility to understand what it is to be responsible and the pressure of a must-do. Thank you, Lord, for all that you'll accomplish in us 
through our study. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, pretty, pretty famous passage of scripture. No doubt you've heard it before. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's field, you are God's building. This is a description that's given in response to what Paul had actually pinpointed as a problem back in verse 4. That here are some members in the Corinthian church. In fact, it seems to have been a widespread problem where folks were attaching themselves to personalities in the church. Those personalities were the preachers or the, the workers, the primary workers in those churches. Paul's name comes up. Apollos' name comes up. Peter's name comes up. Even Jesus. But they weren't using Jesus' name as we might think is best used. They were segregating themselves from everybody else that had identified with a particular preacher that they liked. And Paul throws in on that circumstance, that situation. He says, well, wait a second. You know what? I'm a party to the work that's being done. I'm the one, you'll remember, involved in planting the church. And then I I understand some, you know, they make their connection with Apollos, but that makes sense because Apollos, he's in the work of watering the church. So I planted Apollos water, but what, what I need you to understand is that you have somehow missed the effectiveness of each one of us in the plan that was God's. You know, it wasn't, wasn't me. I'll be judged for my work, but it wasn't me alone. It wasn't Apollos alone. He'll be judged for his work too. Each of us will receive our own reward according to the labor that we were involved in. But what you've got to understand is we, both I and Apollos, we were fellow workers with God. This is God's work, not not our work. We're participants in it together and with God. Now, a couple of things are pretty apparent. Number one, obvious thing, the argument itself, you know, don't be putting all of your attention, your value, your trust in a human instrument of God. In fact, one reason you wouldn't do that is while Paul was prominent and Apollos was prominent, the fact is they aren't the only ones involved in the work. Each of us, in fact, every member of the congregation has a work that has to be done. We have a role that we are to play. I like how he broke it down, though, and I got to thinking as regards this text that in addition to many of the things that we've already talked about, there is something pinpointed here that 
is a general kind of classification of works that must be done within the church. When you move or remove the personalities from the work of the church itself and just examine it, a lot of things can be boiled down actually to the two things that Paul addresses here and tried to make his argument. That is the idea of planting and the idea of watering. So today, I I want us to consider together the importance of those two things, something that we must do as the body of Christ. We must plant and we must water. The end result of that will be that the work's done for sure, but something, I guess, to me, more important than even that. And that is that through the effort to accomplish those goals, that God was glorified in it. Now, somebody, and I'm going to say that somebody might be you. Somebody has to plant in order for God's work to be accomplished. Now, in this text specifically, Paul says, well, as regards planning, I did that. That's in verse 6. We might ask just a simple question. Okay, if you're the planter, where is it exactly that you plant? And in verse 9, in terms of this argument that he's making, in verse 9 he says, well, the planting was being done in God's field. The work of planting is probably what you think it is. It's the idea of somebody initiating the work, of actually planting the seed, so to speak. An initiator is somebody who originates something. They're the first one on the scene. They're the one that starts the work. Paul, as you know, was great at that kind of thing. In fact, most of us, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the Apostle who was vested with the responsibility of carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, you know that Peter, we usually say Peter is the one who carried the gospel to the Gentiles first. Okay, we see that with Cornelius. But Paul was that primary missionary who was taking the gospel message all over the known world, the civilized world anyway, at the time. And so Paul knew something about planting churches. When you look at his missionary tours, as we call them, that kind of work is everywhere. Paul would go to cities, he would set up, he would find the very best circumstance in order to reach people, and then he would get about the business of preaching the crucified Christ. That was his message, the cross. Now, Paul was a a great planter, but Paul isn't the only planter that we find in the scriptures. For instance, there's all kinds of roles that you might play in planting. I am no farmer. I've tried to have a garden. I've done it several different kinds of ways. I read. I try to learn what's necessary, but there is a special knack to it. However, I do remember when I was a child working with my father who was successful with gardens. And I remember aside from when he would turn the ground, it would have dirt clods in it. And I would throw dirt clods at my brothers. Aside from that fun part of it, 
I remember how, well, for a kid, how, how difficult that work seemed. Now, as I reflect on it, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that difficult. But, you know, when kids are having to do things, it becomes difficult. And so I remember, oh, that arduous task of following behind my dad, who's now made these rows and having, can you believe it, having to put these seeds down in those rows and then sprinkling a little fertilizer on it and then kicking it kind of with my heel like this with an angle and covering it up with the dirt and then having to go back out there and water it and get it prepared. And then I remember those little weeds growing and us having to weed the thing. And I, I was terrible at that because I couldn't honestly tell the difference between a weed and a viable plant. So I'm out there with a hoe pretty well digging up everything. I remember though the best part of it and that's when Mom would take what had been reaped out of that work, that stuff that I hated doing so much, and prepare meals with it. Now, there's the payoff. Experiencing the good that comes out of that which was planted. Now, in that process, there's all kinds of jobs that you can do. And in the New Testament, as the church is is being planted, you see a lot of different roles that people played. For instance, and maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but John the Baptist was a part of the preparation of the soil. In John chapter 1, verse 23, John says, hey, I'm the one. I'm the one who is crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now get that wording. He's making straight the way. He is preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist was a part of clearing the ground in preparation for the work that Jesus would do ultimately in the establishment of the church. Maybe, maybe you don't think in those terms. Maybe you go right to the point and you think about the apostles. The apostles certainly were a part of that team that planted the seed. And you can't help but think about Jesus giving them their commission to go into all the world. Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You go and you teach, you baptize. You are going to be that force, that foot soldier that goes into all the world and preaches the gospel to every creature. And Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, just kind of reflecting on his own ministry said, I, I was a part of that. And we accomplished it. We carried the gospel to every creature. I think also about having preached that gospel and then the response that came on the day of Pentecost. By the time you get to the end of that chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Bible says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The seed was being planted and it was, it was on fire. I mean, this thing is taking off. Or maybe you think about the church having been established and then its impact on a growing spread of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's kind of the roadmap for the distribution of the gospel, where it's going to begin in Jerusalem, then spread to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Actually, that's the outline of the book of Acts, too. You just see it step by step. 
a large portion of the introductory chapters in the book of Acts actually just have them centered there in Jerusalem, gaining momentum. And I kind of get the idea, you know, God's like, okay, that's great, and you've got your comfort zone, but we've got a whole world to evangelize. So in Acts chapter 8, we have persecution coming to the church. And in verse 4, instead of the persecution squashing the spread of the gospel, more seeds going to be planted because now people are going everywhere preaching the word. Whether you're thinking about Paul or John the Baptist in his preparatory work, or you think about the apostles and planting that initial seed, or of the church's work as it's spreading that gospel throughout the whole world. However you think about it, the fact is, yeah, there were people doing that work of planting then, but there's also you and me. You can be a planter of seeds in this generation, just as they were. Now, it's simple because the seed that they were planting is the very same seed that we plant today. Uh, One text that bears that out is Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. And, And it says it as simple as can be. The seed is the word of God. Take that word, plant it in a heart, it will grow. It will produce something. Now, how that is managed afterward and nurtured may very well tell how the plant grows. But let's just get to the simple basis here. The responsibility of a planter is to plant God's seed, which is not opinions, not philosophies. It is the word of God. Now, I mentioned to you that there are several aspects to this. So, yeah, there, there is the idea of just planting the seed, but there's also kind of in that same process of the planting is the harvesting of what's been planted. So I want to see that seed growing. And then when it reaches a place of sufficient maturity, we want to, we want to reap that which has been sown. And so some people that are really good at planting seed maybe not so good at kind of nurturing the thing to its maturity. There's all kinds of personalities in the church, and we have to kind of ask ourselves how we fit in or or what it is that we can do. But some folks can really nurture the word that's been planted in a heart and help it to come to fruition so that that person will actually obey the gospel. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. And in fact, we had an entire lesson about it. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into the harvest, his harvest. So God's working. He's working through the benefit and the basis of seed that we are handling we're carrying that seed and we're planting it. If we plant it, we have someone, maybe it's us, but maybe it's somebody else comes in and helps to nurture that or it's a team effort to encourage this person in their obedience and faithfulness to the Lord initially. However, we can work it to have a good result. You could say, I'm a planter. I'm that person who is invested in the planting of seed. 
It also is important for somebody, and it might be you, and, and I'm going to say, and, and I'm, I can't take the pulse of the entire congregation, but I'm going to say most of us fit into the watering category. Now, somebody has to water in order for the Lord's work to be accomplished. And most likely, uh, unless you're just passionate about planting those seeds, and I know some of you really are, unless, unless that's your thing, m- most likely we would say you're probably in the watering category. Now, Apollos was that, and Paul recognized it. You know, Paul is starting churches, planting seeds, moving on, but he wasn't neglecting these churches that had been established. He wanted to see that there was somebody left behind of a mature level of faith that could help develop those churches, those new Christians. And so Apollos was that guy, a local preacher, and he was good at it. So Paul mentions him because apparently some of those Corinthian members were like, he's our guy. Uh, okay, well, that aside, what would it mean to water? What, what, what would be involved in that process? A waterer is a person who sustains the work that's already begun. It's that person that is going to nurture it. I would say, if I were going to pick one word to describe the waterer, I would say it's the encourager. The person who really encourages, builds up, pushes along, helps to support, motivate a work that's already going. Most of us probably fit in that category. And you say, well, since there's so many of us in that process, I guess I can just lag behind. That that is not true, right? I have to be committed to this myself, all by myself, just as much as anybody would in the planting aspect. I have to have a passion for the thing that I am best suited to do. So if I'm thinking about waterers, uh, who would be some examples of waterers? Well, kind of going back into Paul's camp, we know Apollos was one of those. Here's a famous name, maybe for us, more famous than even Apollos, and that would be Timothy. Timothy was one of those men, we would probably throw Titus in there too, and if you really read the letters, there's a host of people that fall into this category, but Timothy is that guy that we think about most often because Paul wrote a couple of letters that we have in our New Testament scriptures with strict outlines about here's how you do this thing. You know, here's, here's how you go about watering a congregation of the Lord's people. And again, just kind of taking the initial hook that was laid out about using the Word of God, the seed is the Word of God. Here's the thing, that as a church is being nurtured and moved along in its maturing process, you know the thing that's going to do that. Again, it's not opinions or philosophies. It's going to be the Word of God. So when Paul instructs Timothy about the process, that's exactly where he goes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, he says, here's something you can trust and something you have trusted from your youth, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? How do I mature the church? How can I bring it to completeness? How can I... What? Stop. (laughs) Go no further than that statement right there. How about the Word of God? It's profitable for all of those things that you would want to accomplish in the growth and the maturation process of the church itself. And he even comes off in chapter 4, verse 2, as strongly as he could. Here's what you do, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Now, right there it is, isn't it? Here's how you do it. You be long-suffering. You be patient with these people. Here's why. Because you're going to deal with all sorts of people. Some of them are brand new Christians. Some of them are mature Christians or growing in their maturity. They've been at this a while. You have to preach in such a way, teach the Word of God as to be sensitive to its application to a person's life. I could be pretty strong with somebody who knows better, but how do I deal with a new Christian? You know, I don't want to come down on them with expectations that are too large for them to meet. So there has to be a kind of balancing act in terms of how we approach the truth in the life of any Christian. We don't want to lose anybody. And so he says, best thing for you to do best thing for you to do is draw on the Word of God and know that it, it is perfectly balanced in its right application to any life, whether it's a brand new child of God or whether it is one advanced. And, and he even went so far in chapter 4, verse 12 uh, of 1 Timothy to tell him, look, you know, don't let anybody despise your youth as though you don't know anything because I know better. So don't let them despise your youth, but you be an example to the believers in word and conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity. Right there are two fronts that any waterer is going to use. Yeah, the word of God, I can strictly apply it. We can study it. We can quote it. We can read it straight up. But also... We can learn it from one another by the example. I've, okay, here's, here's me. I've applied that word. Now watch and see how that goes, right? Follow my footsteps as I'm following Jesus, Paul would say, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Okay, there's one example. Another example, let's talk about a totally different application. That would be in terms of our encouragement or our benevolent spirit toward other people. There is nobody in Scripture that is any better known for that attitude than Barnabas, right? In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, beginning, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who are possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, 
who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now here is somebody, Barnabas, that's his nickname, by the way, Joseph. So Barnabas, a nickname given to him by the apostles themselves. So this isn't just... This isn't just a shock to anybody. Can you believe Barnabas? Why, he sold land and gave them money? Can you believe that? Nobody's shocked at that. The the apostles, they nicknamed this guy the son of encouragement. I mean, he is just, he has been on the scene. When Saul of Tarsus was being feared by everybody else, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's right there to kind of smooth his entrance into fellowship. The church is ready to boot him out. He must be a fake. No, he's not. He is a true convert, and Barnabas stood right there with him. Barnabas demonstrate a a huge degree of empathy for those who were without. He sure did. So much so that he is willing to sell land. Why would he do that? Well, because he's a disciple of Jesus. Why would he be such an encourager and a builder up of other people? Because he's a disciple of Jesus. Because Jesus would do that. You think Jesus would let land or money or possessions stand in his way? No, sir. He didn't even have a rock to lay his head on. Jesus, Jesus would have loved others to the extent that he gave... Well, you know, you know Jesus. I mean, he even died for us. So Barnabas, he's just a disciple of Jesus, and he's willing to give whatever's necessary in order to aid his brothers and sisters. Son of encouragement. Maybe that's you. You know, maybe it isn't that you're in the... I don't know, the mechanism, is that a way to call it? The mechanism of the work of the building of the church. Maybe that's not your thing, the structural part of it. Maybe your thing is just kind of the, you know, down on the ground with the people loving them. Maybe that's your thing. If it is, be passionate about it like Barnabas was. Or kind of in that same vein is a woman by the name of Dorcas. Remember her? Uh, Some translations have, well, it's also Tabitha. I say translations. It is a translated name. But we think of Dorcas, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. You know, she died. But she's resurrected from the dead. Now, why is she resurrected from the dead? Because of her good works and her charitable deeds. The widows who had benefited from her goodness couldn't imagine her not being there. You know, on the basis of that, many times when I pray for somebody, when they're sick or facing severe difficulties, I'll pray a prayer something like this, that, Lord, I pray you'll bless them according to their good works. And when I do that, if you ever hear me pray that way, know that I'm thinking about this right here. And not that I'm asking God to resurrect this person from the dead, no. But I'm thinking God was so touched by the desires of those who are benefited from Dorcas's generosity 
that they wanted to see her resurrected from the dead. I, I just think if God's heart could be touched that way, how much more would it be true when any of us, if, if our passion is to care for other people and then we are set back, those people that have benefited from our good things, what kind of audience do they, you think they would have with God if they took your name and offered up your good works as an attention getter for your healing? That'd be a great prayer. So whether you identify with Apollos, which you probably don't, <laughs> or, or you identify with Timothy, you might, or maybe Barnabas because of your generosity and your encouragement of others in need, or even if you're like Dorcas, you're, you're behind the scenes, but you love people and you want to build them up and help them out, whatever it is that you see in that realm, or maybe there's even something else. When you do those things, when you have that attitude, when you're passionate for that, then you're a part of the watering process. And I'm just expecting most of us are in that category. But whether you are the planter or you are the waterer, understand what we noted in the beginning. All the glory doesn't go to the planter. All the glory doesn't go to the waterer either. Well, actually, actually the glory, that is God's. Now, the text says in verse 6 that God gave the increase. So if a church is increasing, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's at the root of that. It's God. God's blessing that church. So God gave the increase. I have to ask this question because I'm always going to ask this question. Why? Why is God giving the increase? Verse 13 says God was giving the increase because it was a good work. You know, what they were doing was good. The planting and the watering, that's what he wanted us to do to start with. So when they did it, he blessed it because it was a good work. And then the other thing, which was a part of Paul's overall argument was, verse 9, fellow workers together with God. Fellow workers with God. It's God's project. The building up of this church here in Boonville, the growth of this church, the impact of this church in this area right here where we live, that's God's work. Now, if I'm signed up, as I, I hope is true for you, if I'm signed up to this work, I'm going to participate in one of these areas because when I do that, I'm bringing glory to God. And God will bless that work. If I really want to see this church impact Boonville, then I'm going to trust God is going to give the increase. He's going to give the increase, well, because it's a good work. Again, how am I going to be in tune with the good work of God? Well, Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 7 at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. It's his last illustration, verses 24 to 27. He says there's two types of people. That person who hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it stood because it was founded on the rock. 
But whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now what are we? We are a house that is built on the rock. You say, well, that was a personal application. Okay, make the personal application and make that application to every single member of this church and then ask yourself, just as Paul later in this text will talk about a foundation that can only be laid, which is Jesus Christ, the same is true here. Who's our foundation? It is Jesus, and we are building on that foundation of Him and the apostles who have gone before. Now, we're responsible of maintaining this great house of the Lord's. Not just a few of us, but every single one of us, just like those bricks that are stacked one upon the other, side by side, linked together with a kind of glue, the cement that holds them together. That's us. And so we all together are working Oh, and we just, we do so good, brothers and sisters. We just did great. Look at how we're growing. We pat ourselves on the back. Woo! We just excelled. And we feel so good about ourselves. Listen, I want you to feel good about yourself. But I also want you to understand that when you have done the very best that you can and you have exhausted yourself in the work and you have just laid it all out there, you say, I'm another Timothy, I'm another Barnabas, I'm another Dorcas, I'm just like John the Baptist laying the groundwork, I'm like those apostles planting seed, I am just like the early church going everywhere preaching the gospel. When you have reached your maximum capacity, when you have reached that place where you're doing all that you can ever do, don't you dare take that hand and slap yourself on the back. Because Jesus said, Luke 17, verse 10, us, the servants, uh, the members of this church, when you have done all that you were commanded to do, wait, stop right there. Why am I planning? Why am I watering? I was commanded to do that. That's the work that we have been commissioned to do. When I've done all that I was commanded to do, here's what I say. Woo, I did a good work. Lord, bless me. No, not that. We are unprofitable servants. And the reason why is because we have done what was our duty to do. It's like, when you have your very best day, the Lord's looking at you and going, that's what I expected. Sometimes we look at ourselves and whatever successes that we have and we think, that's the best. No, that's the best ever. The Lord is saying, I knew you could do that. I knew you could. I'm going to tend to think of that this way that whatever it is that I can do, and I can do it passionately and to the very best of my ability, the Lord wasn't shocked that I could do it. He knew I had it in me. And if God could see that in each of us, then He can see us being a great church. We've got to be passionate and committed to that. So... In this analysis, you're a planter, you're a waterer, right?
If you're a planter, okay, peace, you may not be a waterer, okay? So if you're thinking I'm getting at that, I'm not. If you're a planter like Paul was, you may not be a waterer like Apollos was. If you're a waterer, you may not be a planter, okay? So you say, well, Ken, I'm I'm just an encourager. I, I, I can't see. No, I'm not asking you to. But if you look at yourself and you're not a planter, you had better be a waterer. And if you look at yourself and you say, I'm not a waterer, then you better be a planter because God's called you to something. And when we do the best we can, when we have, boy, we're passionate about it, we have poured ourselves into that particular work. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to glorify God in it. All glory be to God. Let's pray together. And then if you had kids, you rush out of here. And then the rest of us will follow in about 15 seconds. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at your word, be challenged by it to understand things we must do as your body. I pray, Lord, that you'll empower us and give us courage and the confidence to do it. Help us to, help us to catch the vision of your confidence in us. You look at us and you see our great potential. Lord, help us to aspire to it and reach it. And then just to know that you saw it in us all along. Lord, if, if we can't see either one of these things in ourselves... I sure hope we see something that is worthy of your attention and that you'll use every one of us together, joined and knit together, to be a great church in this community here. Thank you for every blessing that will come through that commitment. In Jesus' name, amen.